Hello, and welcome to the Writers and Illustrators of the Future podcast. This is John Goodwin, your host. This podcast is dedicated to the aspiring writer and artist and will provide inspiration and tips from top professionals in the field. Today, we have two guests who I know you're going to really enjoy hearing from, Jim Solis and Christopher Paul Carey. Jim is the president of the Edgar Rice Burroughs, Inc., and Christopher is the director of publishing. Now, for those of you who don't know, Edgar Rice Burroughs was an American speculative fiction writer best known for his prolific output in the adventure, science fiction, and fantasy genres. Probably you'll know him best for having created Tarzan of the Apes, John Carter of Mars, and Carson Napier of Venus. It's interesting that his bio begins, and I'm quoting from his bio, from the day he was born in Chicago on September 1st, 1875, until he submitted one half a novel to the All Story magazine in 1911, Edgar Rice Burroughs failed in nearly every enterprise he tried, and yet he became one of the most successful adventure writers in history. Several years ago, I became fascinated with the relationship between Edgar Rice Burroughs and L. Ron Hubbard, and this has been an interview I've wanted to do for some time. Herbzine, E-R-B-Zine for Edgar Rice Burroughs, published a three-part series on Edgar Rice Burroughs and LRH curated by Bill Hillman. I want to open by providing a perspective as to why I'm so excited to be doing this interview. In 1954, L. Ron Hubbard noted in a talk, Edgar Rice Burroughs, yes, of course, Edgar Rice Burroughs, weirdly enough, was he and H.G. Wells actually loom up now on this day and age as being terrific towers. My God, I mean this, the man, the imaginative flow which that man turned out compared to what you're picking up off the newsstands today is fabulous. But we even go into this level of operation that he was doing, and we can look on that as being a rather giant operation. We're having a rough time today in the arts, I should say. And that was what he said about Edgar Rice Burroughs. So obviously, he really, really appreciated what he did. So with that said, let's get started. Welcome, Jim and Paul. Thank you. Thank you. Glad to be here. Yep. I'm definitely glad, like I said, to have you here. So um, if you can please just give me a brief introduction about uh, the Edgar Rice Burroughs, Inc. and your work. Well, Edgar Rice Burroughs incorporated himself in 1923. He's one of the first authors to ever do that. Wow. And, and he ran the company until he, his, his death in 1950, and then his grown children ran it for another 30 years before they, the company turned to outside management in the late 80s. The company really spends its time in, in three areas. One is publishing, a very active publishing program of which our director, Christopher Paul Carey, is in charge of and is giving it new invigoration. Also, movies and television. There's been over 50 Tarzan movies and over 230 television episodes, and we're working on more of them. And the last wow. part is merchandising. There is merchandise, the Tarzan merchandise is worldwide, and uh, that's our job to, to keep it out there and uh, make sure the public uh, knows what's available and, and incentivized, to, and hopefully they will be incentivized to buy them. Well, that sounds good. And then your work specifically, Christopher, on what you do as a director of publishing. Yeah, so uh, Edgar Rice Burroughs also started up his own imprint um, back in 1931. He put out, I think the, the first book that the company put out was um, Tarzan the Invincible, one of his Tarzan books. So he was self-publishing his own books. That was quite a, you know, like that really wasn't done back then. And, uh, and you know, that ran all the way till. He passed away in 1950, and um, a few years back, 
uh, Jim here uh, decided to reboot the, uh, revive the publishing imprint and start putting out new books. And we started with The Wild Adventures of Edgar Rice Burroughs. And then I came on board there um, as director of publishing and sort of reinvigorated the program. I had more experience in publishing, and that's why Jim brought me on. We launched two new lines, uh, the Edgar Rice Burroughs Universe, which is canonical stories. We're making sure they actually fit with the original stories, and we're bringing them forward into the future. And then the Edgar Rice Burroughs Authorized Library, which is a massive project where we're reprinting all of Edgar Rice Burroughs' 80-plus volumes of work, beginning with the Tarzan novels. We're about halfway through the Tarzan series right now, reprinting those. And these kind of deluxe, handsome hardcover editions with bonus materials from our archives that no one has ever seen before. So that's what I do. <laughs> do you use the original Frazetta artwork? Uh, no. Yeah. What we're doing is using um, an artist by the name of Joe Jesco. He's an award-winning artist, and he is going to be painting every single one of these covers. And he's based in uh, upstate. Wow. So all new art. So it's all new art. And uh, they're, they're beautiful pieces of art. And the, the cover itself will sell these books, we're pretty sure. I wish well, you it worked before, so there's no reason why it won't work again. <laughs> It's beautiful artwork, all hand-drawn by him. In addition to the colorful colors uh, covers that he has printed, uh, we also have a, a frontispiece, a black and white frontispiece by him at the beginning of the book, and uh, that complements uh, the storyline. Oh, that's great. So I cut you off there, Christopher. Is there anything else what you're doing, like I said, on your publishing program that you've, that you've been brought on board to create? Yeah, so, I mean, the the big thing that I'm – you know, working on are both of those two lines, the Edgar Rice Burroughs Universe and the, the Authorized Library. Both of them are massive projects. When you're working with uh, deep continuity from like, uh, you know, any of the 80 some books that he wrote, you have to do a lot of a lot of working with the, the, the authors. So I, I basically have, I kind of treat my authors like a creative team, kind of like you would with a, a, a group of writers working for a television show or something like that. So we have regular consults, we have video conferences, because we're all trying to line it all up and create a, uh, you know, just Edgar Rice Burroughs created a universe. He, he was really the first one to have this coherent inner, inner working universe where he crossed characters over, like Tarzan went to Pellucidar, you know, he, he had four, four of his major series crossed over with one another. And then some of his, a lot of his standalone works had minor crossovers in them. So it's this very elaborate uh, world building and continuity and so I have to, I'm the one, I, you know, I'm also creative director of the Edgar Rice Burroughs universe. So I'm, I kind of manage all of that. Um, and we're also publishing comic books. Uh, we have various license, licensees for comic books, but we're and specifically with the, the Edgar Rice Burroughs universe, the canon comics, we're working for, uh, working with American mythology productions to put out canonical stories through comic books too. So they're kind of just as valid as the, as the novels that we're putting out. So I, so I do a lot of uh, work with them as well. So, Wow. That, that's, um, that's very, very impressive. So, so uh, Jim, how did you originally get connected with the Edgar Rice Burroughs Corporation or company or Inc. to then move up? And did you just walk in and become the president? Or did you um, – was it a – was it a um, – some type of a, a takeover, a hostile takeover that you became now the president or <laughs> did you work up from janitor to the top or how'd that work? 
<laughs> I, I came in, I came from the outside. I was the outside accountant for many years for the corporation. So I knew all about the tax and accounting issues and financial issues, but I really knew nothing about the internal operation. And then in, the, in the 2008, we had a retirement of a longtime president and an unexpected death of, of the grandson of Edgar Rice Burroughs. And all of a sudden they needed a president and I was available. So since 2008, I have been the president and dealing with the internal operations an entirely different job than being an outside accountant. So I had a learning curve. No doubt. But it's amazing, though, just my reality, at least, of what's happened here, because I didn't really have that much of a connection with, with Edgar Rice Burroughs prior to your getting on there. And you've, you've taken and in, in, you've so exploded it into a, like a, a massive international corporation or a company, at least. But it's also your, your message is getting out there because it's amazing. I never, I've been involved with publishing since um, the mid-80s. And not until I connected up with yourself and with um, Herbzine did I really have any perception of Edgar Rice Burroughs as a major force in publishing. But then since you've, you've you know, taken the helm, it's, it's amazing just how much his presence is being felt a century later. So that's, you know, kudos to you on that. Thank you. We're, we're still working hard at it. And that's here to keep it going. No doubt. No doubt. So... Uh, Christopher, how'd you get involved? Like you said, you 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 met up with we. I don't remember you there, but you said you were at a, one of the Rise of Futures events that we held in Seattle. So obviously, you're up in Seattle at the time. How'd you connect up with Edgar Rice Burroughs Inc.? Well, I um, was a longtime fan of Edgar Rice Burroughs, so I've been reading him since I was a kid, and uh, one of you know actually my very favorite writer. And so a few years back. I actually went to one of the Edgar Rice Burroughs conventions and I met Jim and uh, Kathy Wilbanks, who's our vice president. And um, I pitched them the, I'm a writer also. So uh, I pitched them the idea of writing a novel for them. So I wrote a novel. And so that's how we made initial contact. They already knew my name because I had written some uh, works, uh, co-written and uh, expanding upon the works of Philip is a farmer, the science fiction authors, Philip is a farmer. Who, who also wrote some stuff that intersected with Degarace Burroughs, yeah. particularly the ancient Opar series. And so they had already, they are, I was already on their radar because the publisher of the ancient Opar books had been in, you know, in contact with ERB Inc. And so, so I wrote that novel. Uh, it, it was a, a joy to write. It was probably the easiest novel that I ever wrote. Cause I just love Degarace Burroughs. I'm very saturated in it in my subconscious, you know, so it really just came out um, and it got very good, very good reviews. And then I just came to visit one time. I wanted, I, also, I wanted to see where Edgar Rice Burroughs uh, had his office. And so uh, they invited me down and I, I, I came here to visit. We went out to dinner and then I kind of dumped on them all my thoughts about publishing. <laughs> uh, and so when an opening happened, when their, their, uh, their other uh, person who was running the publishing program left the company, and there was an opening, they thought of me. So, and they, they reached out to me. And so that's how, that's how I got on board here. Christopher is a very accomplished author. You know, he, we uh, tapped him to do one of our wild adventures of Edgar Rice Burroughs books. And he wrote one called Swords Against the Moon Men, which was a combination of the moon men and, and what else? Well, it had a John Carter crossover. John Carter it. crossover. Yeah. Thank yeah. you. That's right. Yeah. So that was an exciting novel. And that's been out two, two three, four years now. 
So that's that's really really good because that also having you come on board then with that kind of experience and that kind of love because that that's really important in publishing. You know, it's successful publishing endeavors have the underlying love of publishing, love of books. You know, to make it work, you have the people that come in strictly just okay. It's just a job. It's just it doesn't work. You know, and it, and it shows in the quality of, of what comes out from those publishers. So that no doubt has a lot to do with your success. So how much is the ERB line ERB and how much of it is the um, other authors contributing to that universe? So, well, we have the Edgar Rice Burroughs authorized library, which is reprinting all 80 plus of Edgar Rice Burroughs' original works. So that's a major, major publishing initiative here. It takes up a lot of my time and, uh, and I, I would say it's about balanced between the two, but it, t- it's, it takes a lot more work to produce a, a novel from scratch than it does to, do, to, to reprint a novel, even though we are spending a lot of time adding a lot of extra bonus material and a lot of production value to the authorized library. It still is a lot of time. So we've, we've put out a lot more of the authorized library than we have of the Edgar's Burroughs universe yet, yet, but we have a lot of, a lot of plans in the work in the works and a lot more books coming out. We have a, a new John Carter novel about to come out in a, in a few months here. So called John Carter of Mars, Gods of the Forgotten by a great author named Gary Gravel. And it's really the first John Carter novel uh, written by an author other than Edgar Rice Burroughs. So um, there was a, a book called Tarzan Conqueror of Mars by a, a great author named Will Murray, um, who's done a, a few novels for us. I know Will quite well. Oh, okay. And uh, he uh, yeah. uh, he wrote one called Tarzan Conqueror. Destroyer series. Yes, exactly, exactly. Doc Savage. Yeah. And, um, yeah. He wrote he wrote a, a a novel called Tarzan Conqueror of Mars that did have John Carter in it, but it wasn't primarily a John Carter novel. So Gary's is the first, you know, just straight John Carter novel since Edgar Rice Burroughs was writing them. So really excited about that. So I'm working on that one right now. Absolutely. Now I have a question, because we recently, or not that recently, but we went through a whole evolution of republishing all of Elwin Hubbard's Pulp Fiction stories, which were 20, 30 years after Edgar Rice Burroughs wrote his stories. So we had to go through and how we, you know, I know we what we did to deal with nomenclature, because obviously English continues to evolve. And our endeavor was to keep it true to what he wrote and how he wrote and using the language that he wrote with but we created a glossary in the back of the books to define terminology, which is no longer used in. So it made it easy for people to understand what he's talking about, especially when you got some of the different Western terminology and lingo and uh, mysteries has a lot of different uh, jargon back then as compared to now. How did, how have you been dealing with, you know, the language of turn of the century 1900s with, you know, 120 years later, you know, on dealing with uh, the language of uh, Edgar Rice Burroughs? Yeah. You wanna, that, you that's a, a very good question yeah. because that is a, a direct challenge to us as we reproduce these books 100 years after he wrote them. And right. uh, we, we do indeed review them from a sensitivity standpoint to consider the new language of it. So it is, it is a challenge, and Christopher has been very good at um, – getting other people's opinions as we work through these uh, reproductions, because we don't want to just unilaterally make the decisions ourselves. We have one point of view, 
we always try to be true to what Mr. Burroughs wrote. But um, as you say, it's got to be updated to uh, appeal to the current audience. And we are t attempting to do that. That's my take on it. Christopher has more to say about that, I'm sure. Yeah, I mean, like like Jim said, we're staying true to Edgar Rice Burroughs. So any any changes that we make are very, very minor uh, and do not affect the storyline or the characterization or anything like that. So yeah. um, I, I come from, I have a, a strong editing background. I was um, senior editor at, Pi, do you know Paizo? Paizo, uh, they published the mm -hmm. Pathfinder yes. playing game. So I, I was also involved in their fiction yeah. line, but pretty much all products that they put out um, for about 10 years. And um, so I, I also, it's just kind of a specialty of mine. I, I, um, I, I pay very much attention to inconsistencies in, in language and stuff like that. So when, when we're reprinting these books, uh, all, all these books had different editors when they were working on them. You know, and so there's a lot of incongruities between like whether this word's hyphenated in this book or not in that book. So there's also a lot of like minor textual changes that I make that just sort of bring it up to modern, you know, Chicago Manual of Style, Merriam-Webster's. The reader is not going to notice, but it's actually going to make it more readable for the modern the modern reading up reading public. Uh, so right. it might be boring to people, but that's what I do. You know, I just try to, you know, make them. Uh, no, it's important because you got to, yeah, you want to create the, the best possible representation of Mr. Burroughs. So that, that is important. Did he leave any direction in terms of republishing or like the do's and don'ts or like, well, if it gets republished again, make sure you do this or change this or this, you know, in terms of changes in novels that he wrote? Um uh, not to, not to my knowledge, but he, an interesting thing is that, um, when his novels were, his novels were originally published in the pulps. Um, and so right. they would, you know, they would often take a heavier hand with the editing and rewrite some of his stuff, in fact. And so when Egg Bros would have the books put out as books, whether it was his own company that was publishing them or, uh, AC McClurg was another big publisher of his. He would go back to his original manuscripts and restore the text. <laughs> so we're trying to, you know, go back to the original texts. You know, we're taking as a baseline the um, uh, at this point the uh, the original first edition texts and then modifying them from there. Because in the uh, '60s and '70s there were some editions of, especially the Tarzan books, that were uh, edited uh, very similar to what we're doing now. They made minor minor tweaks uh, just just to bring them up to date and stuff. But rather than go back to those texts, at, at this point in our program, we're going back to the original first edition text so that we're not creating a hodgepodge kind of thing. We want to be as true yeah. to ERB as possible. Um, so I think another way to uh, respond to that question, John, is that I don't think Edgar Rice Burroughs had any idea how influential he would be with the reading public after his death. I mean, there are people who read his books in the 50s and 60s and 70s who were totally influenced. And um, if I could, I could give you a quote from uh, Ray Bradbury about sure. how influential he was. What uh, his quote was, uh, this is written in the, in the 80s. <clears throat> I've talked to more biochemists and, and more astronomers and technologists in various fields who, when they were 10 years old, fell in love with John Carter and Tarzan and decided to become something romantic. Burroughs put us on the moon. So there's an indication of the level of influence he had on uh, 
including some of the people who are creating the Mars rovers now. You know, one of the Mars rovers actually contained the book, A Princess of Mars. And, and I've, been, I've read it way back and I've tried to find out which rover it was because there have been five or six of them. But uh, they actually put the book in the, uh, in the capsule. So that's how influential it was to the existing generation of, of uh, NASA engineers and, and wow. astronomers. Amazing. I can find that out because I'm, um, I've done a few different interviews with, with multiple of the, uh, of the engineers that created the various rovers on Mars right now. And we've had a couple of them as speakers at our Rise of Future events. But uh, Robert Hogg, who is currently the, the uh, second command of running the rover on Mars right now, the one that just, um, that one that just landed. So he's running the project there on Mars right now. So I, I can ask him that. I didn't know that it's never come up before, but that's fascinating. Mm-hmm. But it's interesting that you say that about uh, going back to the original source material from Edgar Rice Burroughs. We'd had a similar thing that occurred with um, Ron Hubbard with republishing all of his works. We took it back, not to the pulps, but where we had manuscripts, we went to those and that's what we did our proofreading on. We used that to put that, because sometimes they had to edit it down for word length for the magazine, you know, purpose like, that. okay, I need 5,000 words. And if he submitted 5,200, then they'd chop it down to 5,000. So we just, we don't have those concerns right now. So we just went back to the original source, his manuscripts, and um, proofread against that and did the editing against that to be able to uh, republish what we did with the stories from the golden age. That's great. Yeah. I mean, we have some interesting ones ahead of us. I've been looking forward to looking, I'm looking ahead at some of the books that we have. And for instance, The Moon Maid, which was published, um, it's actually a three, three volume, three book series, but it was published in book form as a single volume. And when that was published, Edgar Rice Burroughs really like the publisher made him chop it down. So he went, he himself as the author, did the edits on it and pared it really down and it chopped a lot of text out of it. And so we have an interesting uh, situation where we're going to have to a challenge where we're going to have to decide what we're going to do, which text we're going to go with. Mm-hmm. Um, in this case, it looks like that the pulps, the pulp versions actually might have more of the true false Edgar Rice Burroughs expanded mm-hmm. story in it. So we might go back to the original pulps for that. And I, we do have some of the manuscripts from that, but I don't think all of all three books. So, uh, and sometimes I do go back and I consult if I have a particular question, especially if there's a, there are some typos in the original first edition hardcovers, you know, and uh, sometimes I have to do a lot of research to figure out what the original intent of the author was, you know? So it's it's an an adventure. An adventure in editing. (laughs) So. Yes. So did uh, Mr. Burroughs, did he ever dictate his, his stories? Were they, always, were they always either typed or handwritten? In the early years, he would handwrite them. We have the original handwritten manuscript of Tarzan of the Apes, written in 1912, and also of A Princess of Mars, which originally was titled Under the Moons of Mars. And we have both of them in longhand. It's quite difficult to read, and we've uh, toyed with the idea of publishing it with a written uh, verbiage that could be read could be readable right next to his handwriting manuscript we've not gotten around to that but we it'll be a major undertaking someday but he did in the in the 1920s develop something equivalent to a dictaphone and we have a picture of him holding a microphone in his hand while he is dictating these uh, storylines so 
he converted to whenever that technology arrived, which might have been around the years of the radio discovery in the mid twenties. Maybe that's when uh, he actually did that. And uh, there was a there was a fan who actually a, a collector fan who actually has that manuscript uh, that um, recording device uh, in his in his collection. And I don't know where he ever got it, but um, he must have uh, surreptitiously gotten away from got it got it away from our corporation somehow. <laughs> So it, 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 Somehow, it, it, yeah. You know, he used to ride. He, used, he lived in a ranch up in the hills. He used to ride his horse down uh, where we are in this, in our uh, offices uh, that go back to 1927. And uh, he would just spend all day dictating, and he'd ride his horse back up the hill. Yeah, this is Tarzana, California, that Jim yeah, he was talking about here. And you know, if you can, if you've been to Tarzana lately, and then you imagine someone riding a horse down from the mountains, it's kind of unimaginable now <laughs> to think of because it's so built built up here now. But uh, yeah, but for people who don't know, Tarzana was named because this that whole Tarzana was was Edgar Rice Burroughs' estate. Yes, his ranch was how big? It was about five hundred and fifty acres. He bought it from the estate of uh, uh, General Harrison Gray Otis, who was a founder of the Los Angeles Times. And uh, he, he passed away by 1916, and the estate was settled in around 1918. And then if you recall, 1918 was the first movie of Tarzan of the Apes, and it was a blockbuster success. It was one of the first movies to ever gross a million dollars. That was remarkable in uh, 1918. And after that, Mr. Burroughs decided his future could be still writing, but also making movies in Hollywood. And so he moved from Chicago to California and bought the ranch from the estate of uh, Harrison Gray Otis. And that was 1919. And so, and so from 19 And when was it incorporated then? At, when did it change and get incorporated into Tarzana? It was, he called his ranch Tarzana. And I've spent my dozen years as president trying to find somebody who can explain why he added the A to Tarzan. Why didn't he just call it the Tarzan Ranch? Because Tarzan was so clearly a successful one. Now, the only thing I've come up with is that one person said that might be a, a feminine Tarzan. He wanted to make it a, a feminine Spanish word and it became Tarzana instead of by adding the A to it, that makes it feminine in the Spanish language. Uh, that's the only thing I can, I, the only right. thing that has come up. But beyond that, we don't know. But the area was he 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 started developing it into a real estate tract and sold homes and uh, commercial property in in the mid twenties, around twenty three, twenty four, nineteen twenty five. And at that point, um, he called it the Tarzana Tract, and it stuck. And um, then uh, later on, the U.S. Post Office put a post office branch in the area and they called it the Tarzana branch. And after that, the citizens of Tarzana, which were around 30,000 at the time voted to, they had three names to choose from on the name of their town, they chose Tarzana. So it's been that ever since. Wow, I mean, that's just amazing. And just you think, okay, Tarzana, what an interesting name. And then to finding out its history yeah. is fascinating. That's it's quite mm -hmm. a, a legacy also from uh, Mr. Burroughs. Yeah, I, when I moved here, uh, you know, a couple of years ago, it was pretty, pretty neat to see the stamp of Edgar Rice Burroughs across the town, really, you know, because like you see, they have on the tops of the light posts, they have like, 
monkeys and jungle type themes, like little, uh, you know, and uh, there's a Tarzan fountain. There's actually a couple fountains. In front of the Whole Foods store, there's yeah. uh, murals of, uh, of Tarzan yeah. and their water, water bread and they're on beautiful tile in under the water. You yeah. can see all the artwork. The, the local McDonald's has a wall of pictures of Edgar Rice Burroughs on it and stuff. It's, pr it's pretty neat. Right. Yeah. And one of the Wells Fargo branches also has yeah. quite a bit of um, that, that. They have, artwork. They have a nice mural on top. You got Tarzan riding the wagon. <laughs> <laughs> you got Tarzan riding the wagon there with Wells Fargo. <laughs> <laughs> it should be. Yeah. Right. That's a good combination. You got that one on the, on the team of six horses there. Okay, good. Yeah, somebody draw that for us. Draw that for us. Yes. So any other particular famous quotes or things that people would be, you know, probably have heard of or not realize that that was Edgar Rice Burroughs? Well, I wrote you, read, I read to you one quote from um, Ray Bradbury. He did, he, yeah. did say, he did say another one, and that is, Edgar Rice Burroughs was and is the most influential writer, bar none, of our century. So that's uh, he, he was quite a fan of that. And I know I know there's many other authors who you could say certain things like that all, uh, about also, including L. Ron Hubbard. Um, but Mr. Burroughs, what, the things I have read in what he has said is that he wrote to entertain. And that's what's different about his approach to writing. He thought of these imaginative ideas and interplanetary traveling, interplanetary adventure, including interplanetary romance. But uh, he did it to entertain his readers. And it came from when he used to tell yeah. uh, stories to his children at bedtime. And he created a, a repertoire of stories, and that became um, one of his first books, The Princess of Mars. He was just a really a natural storyteller. Like Jim said, he, he would tell, make up these stories and tell them to his kids. And um, I think that, I mean, that I think is why he was able to transition to something like the the edaphone device and have a dictation you know machine because he was used to this oral tradition and in that way i think one of the reasons he resonates is because he is like the bards of old you know like uh, like 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 uh homer you know yeah. uh, uh just telling these these fantastic stories of these heroes um yeah. on these crazy adventures you know <laughs> so uh I think he just had that yeah. just in his blood, you know, just a natural knack for that story, that oral st storytelling that really, when he puts it on the paper, it's like you're hearing it in somebody's voice. So the bard's voice telling you these amazing stories. So, Yeah, it's just interesting because there was another quote, because um, I, I did some research to see, you know, to check in terms of the various um, writings and or lectures from uh, L. Ron Hubbard. And so I read the first one at the opening here of, of what he said about Edgar Rice Burroughs, but there's another one too, which I think really communicates just Edgar Rice Burroughs' impact on the youth of America at the time when it came out. And he's and he's he was talking to uh, some people about standards of performance, you know, how people are supposed to act or not act. And he says, and this is his quote from what he said, now you take Tarzan's standard of performance. I was a great student of Tarzan's. I used to read Edgar Rice Burroughs quite regularly when I could. Edgar Rice Burroughs' stories of Tarzan were very encouraging to the youth of America in that day. Very, very encouraging. They were a fine, upstanding example of a man acting like an ape. And I very often used to feel constrained by these books from highly civilized conduct and that sort of thing. But I was tremendously intrigued by this since that was a standard of performance to all young America, see? If you acted like Tarzan, boy, you were in. Man, who wouldn't be willing to swing from tree to tree? I done broke my neck more than once. The dull crash, 
Some old frayed ropes strung up one way or the other, Tarzaning from tree to tree, you know. They never tell you that the arc circumscribed by a rope is the length of the rope. But this was still a standard of performance. So just, you know, when he was growing up, and that was, he was born in 1911, so this would be 1920 or so, how he was totally just, you know, wanting to be like Tarzan. And it was, it was alive, it was life. And that's what one thing the Edgar Rice Burroughs did. He was alive and his, and his stories were alive and they communicated living and experiencing life. And that's something, like he said later on in you know, that first quote there, it's an, you know, we're having a rough time today in the arts, I should say, you know, so where it's not, people aren't as alive as he was back then. Yeah, I mean, Tarzan is one of the most ubiquitous names. I mean, it's just everywhere. And yeah. like, if you think about like the popular, like the most, like there are maybe like three or five names throughout all of literature or, or popular culture really that are recognizable instantly. Like you instantly know that. And Tarzan is one of those. So you have Superman, you got Sherlock Holmes and you got Tarzan, you know, if you do the Tarzan yell, people instantly know that what that is, you know, they, yeah. like that, that is something just they instinctively know from generation to generation, because there's always been a Tarzan for, for whatever generation, you know, it's been for a century, you know, so. Yeah, I grew up under Johnny Weissmiller, you know, watching all of his movies there as Tarzan. Yeah. And then it was interesting. I went to Universal Studios seeing the jungle that he was that he was filming in. Yeah. So what's your what's your favorite Tarzan story? Tarzan story, in particular Tarzan. Okay. Uh, well, actually, let me make that let me make that brighter. What's your favorite Edgar Rice Burroughs story? Um, I would answer that by by first prefacing it with he wrote about 25 to 30 different storylines. You know, we've talked about John Carter and we've talked about Tarzan and Carson Napier of Venus, but there's another 25 stories that he wrote and we have commemorated those in a new web comic program. So we, on our website, erburrows.com, you can uh, go to the comics and you can see 26 different storylines of different stories that he wrote. Tarzan is just two of them. And then, uh, all the rest of the things he wrote. But one of the ones that people and myself included have said is one of his best written novels was called The War Chief. And that was a story about a baby boy who was kidnapped by the Indians uh, in their last century, in the 18th century, and uh, raised by the Indians thinking he was an Indian. And uh, turned out he wasn't. But the, the, the reason it was so well written is that Edgar Rice Burroughs in 1895 was a member of the army in, in assigned to Fort Grant, Arizona. And his job was to uh, chase outlaw Apaches. And, and, and his quote was, good thing for me, I never caught any of them. So, but he spent a year there and he got to know the whole Indian culture very, very well, the Apache culture as a result of that. And he was already an expert horseman. He had gone, you know, graduated from the Michigan Military Academy and he was an expert horseman already. And then he went to his older brother's ranch in Idaho and, and broke Broncos, so he knew how to ride a wild horse, too. And he combined the knowledge of, of the horses and the knowledge of the Indian culture and a very favorable viewpoint of the Indians, Apache Indians, at the turn of the century, 1800, 1899 to 1910, with this time frame that was taking place. And that, you know, you know the movie... Dances with Wolves is very favorable to the Indian viewpoint. Well, he preceded that by 50 years with his book called The War Chief. And there was another follow-up to that called The Apache Devil. 
and it's there's romance involved and uh, always uh, Mr. Burroughs includes a, a romantic element all always in in good taste but he always includes a romantic element in all of his storylines and that's true here too so that's that would be my selection as one of the that's interesting that's I just want to I'll get back to you Christopher in just a moment but it's just interesting you said that because that was absolutely unique what you said there what you know that the Indian, the Native American was portrayed as the, you know, in a, in a good light, whether or not they're the protagonist, but they were definitely, were they like the good guy in the story? Yes. Yeah. 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 Because when Owen Hubbard wrote his first novel, which was two decades later, the Buckskin Brigades in the late twenties, the publisher had him edit it because it was, his was so strong in favor of the Indian, the Pecuni, the, the Blackfeet and the, uh, and the fur traders, were the were the bad guys? They were the ones that were the criminals that came over from from England. That he had edited it to make it not so strong, you know, in favor of of the Native Americans of the Indians. And when we republished it in the eighties, we were able to take it back to his original manuscript. But it was a definite, you know, what what Mr. Burroughs did that was definitely going against the grain to to write that and publish it like that. Yeah, it yeah. was it's a very sympathetic view of it was during the period of Geronimo, you know, and. Uh -huh. uh, very sympathetic view of that and he he also i mean that carries over into his mars series his barsoom series with john carter of mars uh, because uh that begins in the southwest you know and he has a, a little run in with some some apaches and goes and run you know hides out in the cave and that's where he, he mysteriously transports to barsoom from this this uh cave under strange circumstances and but but his depiction of the um, the the Red Martians in particular, um, I think, were in, in Barsoom in general. I think was a lot inspired by his time in the Southwest, you know. And he did make the, the they're, they're called the you know the Red Martians is what what they're called in the series. He made them really the dominant uh, group on Mars, who is really holding the planet together. There's an atmosphere plant that they've built to keep keep uh, civilization around on this dying world you know but he really sort of i i think he had this very sympathetic view of the, of the native american just from his time in there there's some interesting quotes i don't have them um, handy here but where he t where he talks about you know his experiences there and uh very very favorable we jim and i went to a convention um in the southwest uh and visited fort grant where Edgar Rice burroughs um was stationed in in the southwest it was pretty pretty interesting that's true yeah. we have two fan events every year of um, different places around the country and one of them is called the dum dum which is uh, named after the meeting call of the apes in the jungle dum dum <laughs> dum dum and the other one is uh, Ed Westbrook's uh, uh, chain of friendship uh, ecop we call it but they they did all want to go once at least to uh, Fort Grant Arizona area the fort is no longer there, but it's actually been replaced by a state penitentiary. Yeah. So we we caravan. There's about thirty cars <laughs> caravanning from this little town where where we could all stay into the wilderness where the where the fort was, and we could see the mountains that he would describe in his books. Um, the war chief, when he was uh, chasing the Apaches, he described the mountain range that he'd have to traverse, and we saw it in person. And they wouldn't let us get very close to the. Uh, the penitentiary. We had to stay about a mile away, but uh, 30, 30 carloads of fans uh, certainly enjoyed the trip. Wow. So now, Christopher, what's your favorite uh, 
Burroughs novel? Oh my gosh, um, it's really hard for me to say. I do love the Mars series, the you know uh, Princess of Mars. Um, John Carter series is really one of my favorites. I, I actually like like a couple of the books that really struck me that are like that not many people know about as much. They're not his most famous works. Are um, he wrote one called "I Am a Barbarian," which was actually published posthumously in I think nineteen sixty six. 67, 67, I think, 67. Uh, and, um, and it's, you know, it's a story about ancient Rome. So, and he, he was very well studied in the classics when he went to grammar school and, uh, you know, in his early education, he studied Greek, uh, Greek and Latin. And so he worked that into his novels. Sometimes there's a novel called, uh, that we just published or about to publish called Tarzan in the lost empire, where Tarzan finds a lost Roman colony in Africa um, and he employed all of his knowledge of ancient, ancient Rome for that, for that series, for that book. I really enjoyed that book a lot and just got to reread it cause I got to edit it. <laughs> um, and, uh, but I'm a barbarian is a great, a great story about, um, a young boy who's brought from, uh, from Britain basically and, and captured and brought to Rome ends up growing up, like kind of studying under one of the gladiators and, and becomes a gladiator himself. It's just a really rollicking story. It's a uh, it's a little bit different from his other stuff. And he was he was inspired, I think, at that point by Robert Graves, who had written I Claudius, and mm. he wanted to kind of come out with his own version of that. Uh, but he wasn't able to sell it at the time, mm. so he put it in the trunk and, and came out later. But I I really enjoy that one. And then the Mucker also, I would say, the Mucker is a story of transformation. It has a sort of an antihero character uh, called Billy Byrne, who grew up in the back streets of Chicago, really just raised in a life of crime. And he kind of struggles with, he gets kind of thrown into this adventure where he ends up on a lost island with a, a remnant of uh, Japanese samurais <laughs> on, the, on the island. Uh, and, uh, but he, he falls in love and the love transforms uh, the, the, you know, the love of, uh, this character, this woman that he falls in love with, transforms him, and he has to struggle against his nature. It's very similar to Tarzan in a way that Tarzan had to struggle between his civilized nature and the the jungle upbringing that he had, you know, and he had to come to terms with that, which he eventually does. Uh, and very similarly, Billy Byrne has to struggle with, you know, his his worst instincts from his from his bad upbringing, you know, and and overcome them and. Edgar Rice Burroughs was an eternal optimist, I would say, in his writings. He really, he really um, saw, looked for hope, I think, you know, and he wanted good to triumph over evil. He wanted the hero to win, um, but he puts them through some really difficult stuff before <laughs> they actually get to that point, and it's always an entertaining story. But I love The Mucker because it's the story of transformation, you know. It's, it's a great story. Almost every other book he wrote, the... Uh... The protagonist is already a good guy and sort of a hero, but Christopher's correct. This is the only anti-hero he ever created. This was the bad, bad guy who did bad things until uh, he saw he fell in love and then he just transformed. However, I won't give away the storyline, but those two never do connect, but it certainly had major influence on his life. Yeah. Well, that's fascinating. So... Any particular Edgar Rice Burroughs story, you know, just like anecdote or something about his his life that that particularly sticks to either one of you or both of you? 
Well, we have a, a famous photograph here of him and his son witnessing the attack on Pearl Harbor on December 7th, 1941. And he was, he and his son were playing uh, tennis that morning on a different part of the island. And they, they saw the, the planes coming over and they saw the bombs, et cetera. And they thought it was, every, everyone in the neighborhood thought it was a, an exercise, a war exercise, a training exercise. They didn't realize it was a real thing for about 30 minutes. And then it, then it dawned on everybody, this is, we're being attacked. Uh, but because of that, he, he gave up quite a bit of his writing. You won't find many things written in the, in the early 40s because he became a, a war correspondent. He was the oldest war correspondent in the Pacific theater during his career. So he was, a, he was always very a patriotic man. He, he loved America. He thought this is the best country and uh, that things were, were going right here. And, and if they weren't right, he, he wrote a letter to his grandson when he was born and said, Make sure you talk to those congressmen. If they're not doing things right, you make sure you tell them what to do. So he wanted to encourage his, uh, his grandchildren to, to be active thinkers and, and active uh, viewers of uh, the American scene because he had his own commentary on it during his career. And he's hoping his uh, offspring would uh, do the same. Wow, what a great story. Anything for yourself, Christopher? Um, let's see here. Oh, that's maybe that maybe is a hard one to be able to, because that's pretty intense. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think just the story, I mean, we talked about it a little bit in the, in the beginning, but just the story of his life, the fact that he, you know, it's just this, this podcast is sort of aimed at aspiring writers. Um, yeah. The fact that he, he tried everything, like every, he was, every kind of business, you know, he was, he was working in a pencil sharpener factory <laughs> trying to sell pencil sharpeners when, when he wrote a princess of Mars. In fact, he wrote on the back of the stationery from that, from that pencil sharpener company. And, um, so I think that, you know, he, how old was he when he first had a princess of Mars published? I want to say he was like 36, 30, uh, 30, 30, 34. Yeah. And, well, you know, well into his thirties by the time he came, came to being a writer. Um, so I think that, you know, that just the story that he, he overcame so many, obstacles and then you know before he finally fell into the writing thing and realized this is what i do well and this is what i can make a business out of out of writing it took him a while to get there and i think just that that perseverance of his character you know and like you know as a writer myself it's just you have to keep trying different things you know and he tried different aspects of his life different occupations he finally landed on the writing thing and just made it work and when he when he got to the writing thing he didn't just stop there and just you know, and just write, just write stories and then kind of fade out, out of, no, you know, fade out of the picture. He, he tackled it <laughs> head on, you know, and made a, made a big business out of it for himself. Um, and he, uh, he was notorious for arguing for his, his rights as an author, um, and for getting the best word count, word rate, you know, sent, sent per word. Um, and, uh, he just really, and he, he shopped his stories to all sorts of different publishers trying to find the best deal. Um, so he's really a good symbol, I think, for, for authors, somebody that they can look to um, for somebody who just persevered and made it um, just through determination. There's talent there, but also that determination is just equally important, I think, you know. Absolutely. Did he do any ever write any essays or have any comments for other writers or aspiring writers? He, did he ever do anything like a book on writing or anything like that, that he did? 
Not not so much. I, I mean, there are there are some articles that he wrote, kind of like uh, from his point of view as a writer. And and like Jim said, it was mainly his main theme. There was right to entertain. You know, right to entertain. You know, it, it and it's interesting because he did put kind of swifty and satire in his writings too. So he, he there are there are um, you know there's there are symbols definitely in his writing where he where he he kind of buries a, a a point that he's trying to get across, but he doesn't hit you over the head with it so much. He he sticks it in there, and if you notice it, you notice it. If you don't, you don't. But um, he he did wordplay and stuff with some some you know characters who were popular in his day, politicians or what what have you, um, and made some little swifty and satires at them. So um, he you know so. He did write to entertain, but he he had a he had a wit to him, definitely. Was satire a big part of what he did? I would say it was an important element to what he did. He he, I mean, he like I said, he would slip it in there. Uh, he he poked fun at humanity a lot. Um, just it, pretty interesting, just across the board at humanity. He didn't believe in. Um, he, this is a theme that runs throughout his work, but he didn't he didn't really like time. He didn't believe in time. In fact, I, I jotted down a quote here. This kind of gives you an, an, a, a sort of sense of, of uh, he said, man has invented time to suit the limitations of his finite mind, just as he isn't, has named another thing that he can neither explain nor understand, space. That's from The Moon Maid. But that same theme, uh, uh, and you can see him sort of poking at, poking at humanity there just by saying, you know, the limitations of his finite mind. <laughs> Uh, it, it a, like, there's a famous quote from Tarzan where Tarzan says, men are strange beasts, you know, <laughs> like he can't really understand the civilized man, you know, so he, he has a lot of that in there. So he, he wasn't that that's like the character of his writing. He was writing these adventure stories, but he had a lot of character that he added to it just from his own viewpoint. I think that really makes makes these books special, his stories, you know, eternal, basically. So. Yeah, one thing I think that stands out and something for people that are listening to this, uh, writers, is that with uh, Mr. Burroughs, story was boss. For him, it was about this story. The, everything else kind of like was secondary to that. Like you said, he was a storyteller. And I've heard, you know, that, you know, some people get into the literary fiction, you know, where it's important, you know, this word and this word, and they're really caught up in, in the words. But Mr. Burroughs was caught up in just telling a good, fun story that, you know, pretty much, I guess all fiction is escapist literature to a greater or lesser degree, but this is very much to a greater degree that you can then, you know, like, like that one Owen Hubbard quote, you know, he envisioned himself being Tarzan, you know, unfortunately he didn't understand that, you know, that a rope would swing and that when you go down, <laughs> the arc of the rope is the length of the rope. And so he would go down and smash into the ground thinking that, you know, that wouldn't happen. But how many kids, you know, were Tarzan? I, I just was fascinated. I loved climbing trees. I didn't do the swinging part, but I was definitely going from branch to branch, you know, pretending I was Tarzan, you know? So he, I think it's amazing. Story is so important. Absolutely. And he, like, you know, I, like say, I was just reading uh, Tarzan and the Lost Empire and I was, I was just admiring how tightly plotted it was. Oh my gosh. He, he just, and and he he ends his chapters on cliffhangers that keep you going. Um, he'll alternate viewpoints often, especially in the Tarzan books. Um, 
because uh, Tarzan is always in the third person, whereas John Carter he'll do in the first person. But Tarzan, because of his unique mind, I don't think he wanted to get into that first person point of view. I think he could tell the story better in a third person because he could show he could show it to you rather than have the person tell it to you. Mm-hmm. And yeah. um, but he he would, you know, like I said, it's just so tightly plotted these interweaving storylines like because oftentimes because like Tarzan met Jane early in the in the first book right and and eventually they they get married by the end of the second book spoiler sorry <laughs> but um but because of that because he sort of resolved the romantic storyline there which was his one of his you know things that he went back to in, in all of his stories he had to find other ways to keep Tarzan going and so he would he he would often put a romantic storyline in from a side from a you know a side character like not the main not Tarzan but mm-hmm. from he would find an important character who would be in the adventure with Tarzan and oftentimes they were separated from Tarzan and they're both kind of working toward the same end ultimately in the plot and he would alternate these stories uh, sometimes he would have three parties he'd have the villains he'd have the other hero and then he'd have Tarzan and then have and they would all just he'd just pull the threads together at the end and and but every single chapter you just want you have to you want to read read what you know it'll end with like Tarzan something's gonna ha- bad's gonna happen to Tarzan and then the next chapter would be about the other character and by the time you get to that you're really invested in what's happening to him and then you get back to Tarzan and it just goes on and on like that until you get to the end and into a big 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 bang climax at the end and he just where he draws all the threads together so he he it really was all that story one of the books i read that really surprised me how much adventure he could put in one particular book was the son of tarzan which i think is his third book or fourth 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 book yeah. son of tarzan but when one reads that there is just an ongoing adventure one after the other and you you realize after 300 pages you were never, never bored. I mean, they're just, you were on the edge of your seat. Remarkable amount of adventure he could put in one novel. And of course he, he did 80 novels with adventure, and, uh, but they, he had the ability to pack uh, imaginative ideas that, that, that you just you just enjoy reading about and you're on the, on the edge of the seat until it's over. So it, it's one of, the wonder, one of the wonderful things about an author is you're sorry the book has ended. And that's kind of kind of how I feel with some of his books. You're sorry the story ended. You wish you could read Which a few. Some of the best now. things you can say about a book. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. So now you've got a book coming up pretty soon because obviously we talked a little bit about Tarzana, the centennial edition of Edgar Rice Burroughs' novel, The Girl from Hollywood. Yes. So, so tell me about that, please. And when's it coming out? Okay. Um, we, it's a hundred years basically since he wrote it. Um, he wrote it in uh, 1922. Yeah. So, and um, well, he was, he was writing it, I think in 1921 yes. and then 22. So we're putting out a little in advance, but we put out, we decided um, it's a very important novel to us because we're based here in Tarzana uh, and it is set largely on a fictionalized Tarzana ranch, um, which, uh, what did he call it? Uh, Rancho. Um, Rancho Delgado. Delgado. Yeah. And um, it's an interesting story. This also is very different from history, kind of like the Mucker. Um, it's very different because it is set um, uh, ba- basically in Hollywood. The other part that's not set on the ranch is set in Hollywood, and it has a lot to do with exploitation of actresses and um, uh, drug addiction is a big theme in it, uh, which you would not typically run into in an Edgar Rice Burroughs novel. 
Um, and uh, right. Now he was very prescient at the time because he came to Hollywood in 1919, and within a couple of years, he observed what uh, some of the agents uh, did in Hollywood to make sure they corralled the uh, young, talented actresses and uh, took advantage of them through uh, hooking them on um, drugs. And uh, it wasn't an expose. That's not why he did it. But he just he wrote it as an observation of what he saw when he came into this new environment. He, he oftentimes creates his own adventure, but I think I read somewhere that in this particular book, he observed he was observing. He was not creating adventure. He was observing what he saw. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I know that some of the characters in it who are on the ranch, there's a, there's a family in it called the Penningtons who are based on the Burroughs. So one of the characters is based on himself, the, the father yeah. character. Um, and then there's the, the daughter, there's a daughter who's based on his own daughter. And I know there's a quote from his daughter, um, where she says that some of the, from jo Joanne, Joanne, Joanne Burroughs, uh, that, basically says that some of the dialogue is based on how she would talk. He, he really based it on her. So, Wow. We decided to put this new deluxe edition out. Uh, we commissioned a new frontispiece by a great artist named Douglas Klauba, who's done some other work for us. We used the classic art from the uh, original first edition by P.J. Monahan on the cover. Um, and then we uh, included an archival section Kind of like we do in our authorized library. Uh, this is not one of the authorized library editions, but um, similarly, we put a, a section in of uh, bonus materials uh, that includes all different covers of the book from the from the past history. Got a sample of our web comics because we have a web comic series, "The Girl from Hollywood," eggerisburrows.com/comics, uh, yeah. um, and then uh, some of Eggerisburrows's correspondence in here about about the book. So, stuff that we're pulling oh, out of our yeah that's fascinating so where will they be able to where can they buy that book they can buy that book at erburrows.com um so and it should be available uh elsewhere it, on amazon too as well it will be on amazon also yeah. the deluxe edition however the, the what we're calling the collector's edition of the centennial edition which is going to have a signed book plate signed by um the frontispiece artist douglas claba and by michael sellers who wrote the foreword and then by the, the team here at Edgar Burroughs Inc., Jim and I and uh, Kathy also signed it because we, we wrote a, a little publisher's forward to it about commemorating the centennial. Um, that is only available from edgarisburrows.com or erburrows.com. Either either URL will get you there. Right. So And that comes with a bonus okay. trading card. <laughs> we have a trading card that uh, <laughs> in, a, in the sign plate. So. A new rendition of a 1920 starlet. Yeah, this is the girl from Hollywood. This is that um is the girl yeah, from Hollywood. Yeah, her her name is uh, Shannon Burke. We've been releasing these collectors editions with a lot of our books. Uh, we uh, at least with the Egg Race Burroughs Universe books, and we've been putting out uh, collectible trading cards with them. And a lot of the we have a a lot of our fan base are collectors. They really like to collect things and books and stuff. So we've offered these uh, if they buy the uh, collectors editions, they get a special little collectible with it and <laughs> people seem to really enjoy that so, great yeah oh that's nice well we're pretty much coming up of to the end of our time slot here so i very very much appreciate this uh, opportunity to, to talk with the both of you um i think it's the people are gonna be listening to this podcast are gonna be fascinated with edgar rice burroughs i think 
uh, whoever saw the movie, whoever's read the books or seen the TV series, didn't really have much of an understanding of the author. And I think this is going to definitely do a lot to help uh, expand that awareness of Edgar Rice Burroughs. So thank you both very much. Thank you. Thank you for inviting us. Yes. And thank you for listening. Subscribe to the Writers of the Future podcast on SoundCloud or wherever you get your podcasts. We have also been syndicated on the United Public Radio Network, where you can find these podcasts as well. Writers and Illustrators of the Future are contests created by Elvin Hubbard to provide a means for the aspiring writer and artist to be seen and acknowledged. It is free to enter and open to amateur short story writers and artists of science fiction or fantasy. Again, thank you very much, Jim and Christopher. Thank you. Thank you.